Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to Einstein's Growth Podcast. This is the episode number eight. And today's guest is Wonder Woman of Rescuing Pets. She is also a certified financial planner, so she is money wizard. She started her career as a marketer and now she is in the finance industry. Her story with money begins when she was in high school and her grandpa started investing money and people took advantage of him. So I will let you with Veronica Veronica Karas to introduce herself, to tell us a little bit about her story and how she ended up being a financial <laughs> wizard. But also she is the best-selling author of Money Matters. Thank you, Alid. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on Einstein's Growth. I'm really excited. So you've nailed my story. Um, you know, when I was in high school, um, well, let me backtrack. My family immigrated to the United States in the early 90s. And at some point, a few years down the line, my grandfather was able to bring over his assets. He had sold the building in Belarus and was able to bring over his assets and, you know, went to a local bank, spoke to a local banker there who was the only one who spoke Russian, who sold him a bunch of financial products that were like, you know, guaranteed 1% return with guaranteed 2% fees. And of course, I was really young at the time. But at some point in high school, when I was already working for a few years, he asked me, um, you know, to take a look at what he has, just to see, you know, if I had any recommendations. And of course, because we're not taught finances in school, I didn't know what I was looking at. So I brought it to a social studies teacher who was really great. And he was like, you know, I don't mean to to make this sound so blunt, but it looks like your grandfather was taken advantage of. And, you know, I, I got online, I started doing a lot of research. And from that point forward, I just became obsessed with, you know, what about our financial system allows someone to sell, to use finances as a product to sell to somebody and take advantage of them in that way. And I've learned a lot. And now, you know, that's kind of that goal has really transitioned to being the person in the financial world who's not taking advantage of people and making sure I'm the complete opposite um, and give the complete opposite experience that my grandfather had at that local bank. That's really amazing because the truth is bad people are everywhere. Like good and bad people are everywhere in every industry, not only in the finance industry. And when did you start your career as a financial uh, planner? So I started while I was still in college, actually. I started working for a life insurance company um, in 2010 um, and then went on to doing investment research um, in 2011. And then I entered the space I'm in now, which is I'm a registered investment advisor and certified financial planner as of 2012. So it's been a long time. Oh, that's a long career of advising people on money. And I know that we talk last time that we talked we had to talk about the bubbles and you know the, the funny thing is i don't know if you know this but like the first bubble that happened in the history of man uh, kind was in 1637 uh, and it's known as the tulip mania which happened in Deutschland. i don't know if you know this but back in time people like they were trying to collect tulips and sell them and the, the price went so high that it created like the first financial crisis ever known. Wow. No, I didn't know that. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that information. It's I, I, I remember this because I was reading a book like that was three years ago in the history of stock market. And 
it did catch my eye because I have never thought about tulips being like the first reason for financial crisis in back in Deutschland because I love tulips. They are my second favorite flowers. That's why. <laughs> And you know, speaking of bubble, just recently have we had a bubble with uh, GameStop. Yeah. So, do you care to tell us a little bit about it? What do you think about it? Because the thing is, uh, I was reviewing uh, the, the essays of Warren Buffett, and I did read something that really made me laugh. That he said only a fool will buy at the end. Yeah. Something that goes like that. Yeah, so GameStop was a really interesting uh, case study, and I'm sure it will be for many years to come. Um, you know, there was uh, news that, or it was pretty well known, that a lot of hedge funds were uh, betting against GameStop. So there was a bunch of Reddit users that got together and said, you know what, let's create a short squeeze um, for the hedge funds for whatever reason, because they decided all hedge funds were evil. And, in, and all bought stock. And it was something like 2 million people all bought the stock at the same time, driving the price up. Now, um, there's a lot of ways we can think about that. First of all, I think, you know, to follow financial advice from someone on Reddit without doing your own research, I think is, is akin to gambling for me. Um, and secondly, you know, the people who work at hedge funds are pretty smart, usually, you know, if they're betting against the stock, or they're betting against the company, it's likely because that company is near bankruptcy or not doing well or something like that. So for me, I'd never bet against hedge funds. I know they bet against each other sometimes, um, because they disagree on strategy. But if a large part of Wall Street um, really thinks, you know, the, the company is not going anywhere. There's probably a good reason for it. And so the, the whole thing with GameStop is silly because GameStop is going nowhere. Um, and it's, and, you know, it was never going to go anywhere. Same thing with AMC theaters right now. Same thing, you know, with Nokia. AMC might actually end up to be a, a, a decent long-term play. If you're willing to wait until COVID is open and all of the theaters open up, but it's going to take a while. And so I think there's a lot of people who got into the stock market for not a good reason and lost money for not a good reason. <laughs> That's true. And like, do you think that people will learn from their mistakes with the GameStop or do you think it's going to happen over and over? It's going to happen over. I, you know, I wish I could say people will learn, but I'm in some, some groups on Facebook where people like a stock market for beginners group where people are constantly discuss, discussing their next hype pick. You know, Dogecoin is another one that's been talked a lot about. Um, I think, unfortunately, um, it's people think it's, easier to go with the hype and if there's a lot of energy and news around a stock that must mean it's um that must mean that you know it's a good thing to buy and i just don't think that's true that's true because there's misconception about following the trend people think that when you follow the trend the leaders of that movement of the, that trend know something that you don't know and this is really dangerous game to do so what do you think people should do to protect themselves against such temptation of buying in such rush moments? Yeah, so I think the best thing to do is really understand stocks and the market and exchange traded funds. You know, I talk a lot about this in my in my book, Money Matters, everything you should have learned in school but didn't. The real issue is that people have no financial literacy education. So even if they wanted to learn 
about GameStop stock. They don't know how to do stock research because nobody teaches you how to do it. And so they don't know that you should look up the price earnings ratio. They don't know that you need to look at, you know, management tenure or recent bankruptcy filings. They don't know that you should look up, you know, the correlation to the market or what that would even mean, to be honest. And I think, you know, the best, the best consumer is an educated consumer of anything. And that includes stock. So I'm a big proponent of financial literacy for the reason that I really honestly think that, you know, if we learned a lot of this in school, people wouldn't lose money the way they lose money. That's true. And, you know, the funny thing is, speaking of that, reminded me of a book that I did read when I was young, younger. I was 18 or 19. It was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm -hmm. And that book did teach me a lot of things about money, not in, in an investing way, but really understanding money and the value of money yeah yeah that's a great book there's a few so of them out there but that's a great book for sure yeah it is like i believe if if you want to start investing you have to learn the basics first you have to understand money first you have to make the difference between assets and liabilities why you should invest in assets in that instead of liabilities and the thing is a lot of people they gamble instead of of investing like they just they just follow the hype as you mentioned how do people move from a gambling state into an investing state i think i think it takes education like you read rich dad poor dad i've read a ton of books um there are a ton of books out there um on you know there is actually a stock market for dummies book out there so it, the resources are endless i mean even if you started something simple by you know you hear a name of a stock and you put into google is gamestop a good stock to buy why or why not you'll get articles that tell you why it is a good thing to buy and why it's not a good thing to buy and you can do that with any company and just reading the information and then you can make educated decisions around whether you then based on the information you've gathered now believe that it's a good thing to buy. Um, and the other thing I'll say is generally speaking, individual stocks are not where you want to start your portfolio, especially not speculative individual stocks. You know, there's a difference between buying GameStop or even like a Facebook stock or Apple stock and buying like Home Depot or Johnson and Johnson or some of these companies, Coca-Cola that's been around forever. Um, there's a vast difference. And I think more people should um, invest in broad, diversified portfolios and not be so hungry to follow, you know, whatever the attention grabber of the moment is. 100%. When we talk about buying stocks, how do you say, do you, how do you decide that X stock is better than Y stock? And like, is there any process that you go through in order to make that decision? Absolutely. So I look at all of the fundamentals of the stock, the PE ratio, the Sharpe ratio, beta ratio. I look up its history. I literally pull up Yahoo Finance and I do comparison charts between stocks and between the stock market. If I'm going to buy a specific stock, I need to compare it against the index that the stock is in. So if I was buying Apple stock, I'd go and compare it against the S&P 500 to make sure it's performing exceptionally better. I look at all of the management and historical information. I look up if there are any lawsuits or court proceedings um, happening that might cost the company a lot of money. And then if I'm satisfied with everything that I found and I think it has a good chance of outperforming the index, then I buy it. 
you know when you were talking about this i was really wondering like do you focus more on the company from an inside insights or do you care more about the market and industry that the company is um, in? I focus on the company. I think, look, we can all, you know, go back to the internet age where Netscape and AOL and Google and Microsoft and all of these companies were there. I mean, half of them went nowhere. Um, so I focus on the fundamentals of the company. I like to know that the companies I buy are profitable. I'm a big fan of dividend paying companies because I believe if you're profitable enough to share your money with shareholders, you're doing something right. Um, I'm not that big into big flyers and things like that. I like to have those types of positions, not individually, but rather within an exchange traded fund um, or mutual fund if I had to or something else, but mostly exchange traded funds for diversification. Um, you know, I think. I think for the most part, most people need to, you know, um, the right way to say this. I think most people need to have a little patience when it comes to the stock market. Wealth is built strategically over time. And so this hunger and this idea that I can double my money overnight, it might be true or you might lose all of your money instead. And I think the, the focus needs to be on a more measured, strategic, patient way of investing. Absolutely. And I know that uh, Warren Buffett doesn't allow short-term investors in his business. And you just said that there is a hunger for overnight money because it seems easier to do it instead of really having long-term strategy. What do you think about yeah, this? Yeah, I mean, I'm the same way. I'm a long-term investor. You know, the, the assets that I invest for my clients, I think, you know, I tell them all the time, don't think about what this stock will be like tomorrow, a week from now, a month from now, or even three years from now, when I buy a position, I'm thinking about how it's going to add to the portfolio over a 10 year period. And so if you're thinking about the 10 years, you're likely making decisions differently. If you're thinking about the next 10 years versus thinking about what will happen tomorrow. Oh, that's really interesting, because there's craziness about short term. And do you believe that short term hunger and hustle to get their money is it ruining the, the markets yeah i think i think the short-term focus that's been happening there's a hunger for it but i think a lot of it comes from um uneducated investors i think that you would rather see the compound you know as, as einstein said uh the eighth wonder of the world is compound interest there it takes time for compound interest to have an effect it's not instantaneous. You're not going to get compound growth tomorrow, but you're going to get compound growth in the next three, five, seven, ten 10 years, 20 years, you know, especially for younger investors. I think it's much more important to be long term focused. Rome wasn't built overnight. It takes time. And speaking of time, how was your journey with you writing your <laughs> own book? Because I know that, like, I know that a lot of people could not afford your services. So you 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 did write your book, which is absolutely a best-selling book. So by doing so, you are duplicating yourself through time and space for other people to learn from your knowledge and your experience. Well, thank you. Yes. Um, so my book was written for that exact mission as 
people who can't afford me still should get good financial advice. That's my fundamental belief. Uh, both my books, actually, and I'm working on the third now. Um, the first, so I'll tell you, the first book was a funny process because I had it on my mind for a long time. And one of the things that's important to note is that, um, I am a, I'm a senior leader for Tony Robbins. So I go to a lot of his events and I support and all of that. So I was at an event at a Tony event with my husband actually in 2018 and it was December 15th. So it was the last day. And, you know, it was this, you know, Tony has this whole concept, burn the ship, right? If you want a goal, you have to make sure that there is no way you can fail on that goal. So I put out on the very last day of this event on Amazon that my book would be available for purchase. My book that I had not written anything towards or knew even how to make it work, my book would be available for purchase on February 1st, 2019. And I didn't. I put it out on Facebook and I put it out on Amazon so you could pre-order my book. And if I didn't deliver by February 1st of the following year, a whole bunch of people who had pre-ordered my book would get nothing. So I knew I had to deliver um, so I wouldn't disappoint anyone. And so I literally wrote my first book in three weeks. I stayed up day and night and I wrote it. I figured out how to self-publish. I figured out how to, I got a book designer on, you know, 99 designs and somebody to paginate the book in um, on Upwork and all of these things that I didn't know had to be done for a book. Um, got the copyright, got everything done. And it was in fact released on February 1st. Wow, that's really impressive. So I wrote it in three weeks. Um, it took a lot more. It took some editing. So it took about a week and a half of editing. And then it was a week and a half for production. And I knew I had a deadline to meet. And I'll say, of course, because of the way it was done, it wasn't perfect from the get go. And it's on its uh, third. It's, it's been through three revisions since. So there's a third edition flying out, um, flying out soon. So, you know, um, it's just, it was a great lesson for me because historically speaking, I'm a perfectionist and it was a good lesson to know, to, to not let, you know, perfection be the enemy of greatness. It was more important to get the book out than it was to make sure the book itself was perfect because it served a lot of people being its imperfectly great self. Yeah. I mean, life, I always say that life is about progress rather yeah. than perfection. And speaking of progress, I have like one of the things that I'm really curious about is a lot of people say that Warren Buffett said, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And the truth is he never mm -hmm. said that. So Warren Buffett believes that focus, you have to focus on few businesses that you know very well because Beta is like someone who is a one night stand that calls, calls himself romantic and it's not yeah. good for the long term. Warren Buffett's always say that you have to put all your eggs in one basket and watch them. <laughs> yeah. So what are what are your your thoughts about diversification versus concentra concentration as a strategy for so investment? So I'm a, I'm a big proponent of diversification. I think concentration creates wealth and diversification perpetuates the wealth. Um you know there's a saying on Wall Street you know, bears make money, bulls make money, and pigs get slaughtered. The magic of buying into a position is also knowing when you're going to sell out of that position as soon as you buy it. So, you know, when Warren Buffett says, put all of your eggs in one basket and watch the basket, you have to really know the basket. You have to know 
of the basket, you know, backwards and forwards to know when to get out. Um, I think a lot of people get emotionally tied to socks and things like that. But I think ultimately, while concentrated positions can help you create wealth, unless you're going to be piggish about it, um, then um, it's a great strategy to build. But ultimately, you want to be a diversified investor. And Warren Buffett is a very diversified investor. That's true. That's absolutely true. And he recently he started buying Apple stocks, I believe. He's been an Apple holder for a while. Um, he's also a big proponent of, you know, buying household names. He stops at McDonald's every single morning for his breakfast. This is sort of an infamous story. And so he also owns McDonald's stock. You know, that's how I built my portfolio. I bought Apple pretty early on because I, my, I have the first original Apple iPhone. And even before that, I had the little MP3 player. Um, so I've been a fan of Apple for a long time, so I figure I'm not the only one in the world. So I, you know, I buy that I bought their stock, um, but I knew when to sell and when to get my money out and set those trading limits as soon as I bought in. Buying when the prices gets low is not like it's not a sign of depressed market market. So what do you think about? Yeah, philosophy. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree. I I only buy low and sell high. Um, I I never take losses in my portfolio. As weird as that sounds, um, I just I and I put it. I always have um a balanced portfolio because you know there are only two things that are absolutely true about the market. It will definitely go up and it will definitely go down. I just don't know when and how much. So I always say, you know, be ready, like have some dry powder so you can, when the market goes down, you can buy in. That's how, that's when money is made. If you bought in last year in March, uh, end of February, March, when the market was going down, you're a really happy person right now. Yeah, that's absolutely, it makes absolute sense. And that's when a lot of people, they missed opportunities because they think it's going down it means it's going to get worse yes absolutely i think people don't realize first of all the market always comes back it may take some time but it does and you know it's hard it's hard to be that disciplined you know when the market is down 34 percent like it was last year it's hard to think oh no you know now's a good time to buy in it's gone down 34 percent people want to run and take their money somewhere else but it's the best time to buy in fact I buy personally with every 10% decline in the market. Every time the market drops 10%, I buy in. And then if it drops another 10%, I buy in more. Another 10% after that, I'll buy in again. Oh, that's really good yeah. strategy. Um, it's, it's an ongoing rebalance. And I do the same thing on the way up, which is where the magic happens, right? So when the market goes up 10%, I also take profits off the table. Yeah. Right now, I want to talk about something really, really, really interests me a lot, which is the beta in the in the modern finance theories. Because the thing is, it started for me when I was in, in college in France, and during the stock markets classes, uh, the, like the the tutor, she was talking about beta, the beta, and honestly, it didn't make any sense to me because the way, like my own perspective, is that what about the human? In the, in the equation of the market, what about the behavior of people who are buying and selling? Like, it simply didn't make any sense to me because I thought it was something weird in a way. 
And then when I did read the book Essays of Warren Buffett, it made more sense to me and it I, I did agree more on the idea. So what are your thoughts about the beta in, in finances and the, how does Warren Buffett tackle the idea that it might not be a good idea of creating business school students and finance students who would believe that we live in a perfect world where we don't do mistakes. There are no, there is no such thing as perfect. Yeah. Markets. Well, so the theory on data is developed um, to basically say over a longer period of time, over any long period of time, to be um, to 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 basically say eventually humans do what's rational. If you look over a really really long term, the actions of the human end up being rational, right? Um, I don't, I, you know, I'm on the sort of, you know, Buffett describes risk really differently um, than Beta's trying to quantify what neutral risk is. Um, Warren Buffett describes it as, you know, the possibility of harm or injury. So, you know, Beta is used to measure volatility over a prolonged period of time and, and try to quantify the risk of an investment. Um, but, you know, Buffett says volatility is no measure of risk. Um, to me, I think volatility drives the human experience. So if you have a really volatile, bumpy ride in your portfolio, it's going to feel a lot worse than if you um, ha- if you uh, had a smoother ride, for instance, if you had a more balanced portfolio. Uh, volatility never feels good. So for me, it's important to know the volatility of a portfolio. Does that mean it, it'll necess- it'll be the reason I don't buy a position? Probably not. But you know, if I'm an investor that's you know really terrified of losing money at any cost, then I don't want a high beta portfolio. This is really interesting. And how can you tackle the idea of a high volatility portfolio? For example, if one of your clients insists on buying that portfolio. Yeah. Look, uh, there's a lot of clients who are like, you know what, I don't care about the risk. And then you find out how they really feel about it when the market down, right? So the the conversation with clients is an ongoing one. It's usually something like, you know, I don't mind the risk. And then the portfolio drops and they call you panicking. And now it's a different discussion. It's you said you didn't mind the risk. Clearly, that's not true. Let's change your portfolio going forward, um, especially once the market neutralizes so that, you know, we can address this panic because you can make all the money you want in the market. But if it does, if it feels terrible and you end up sleeping poorly at night because of it, then it's not a good investment portfolio for you. I agree with you. I know that a lot of people, they when they are going to invest for in, in the short term, they base their, their decision on rumors instead of information. And like, how can people make the difference between rumors and information in such a stage? Yeah, I think that's that's when it's most important to go back to the fundamentals. Like, is this a good investment objectively, regardless of what's happening uh, in the market right now? Are there fundamentals of this company good, etc.? Look, everybody gets nervous when the market goes down. It's not like it's an enjoyable experience to watch my portfolio drop, even though I've been in the field for so long. But it's knowing that it'll come back and just riding out the 
storm and having the right allocation and that looks different for everybody when i was looking and doing my my homework for this episode one of the like one of the most asked questions on google is which investment app is the best for mm-hmm. new for newbies um that's a good question i think so my favorite app and my favorite training platform is schwab i i think they do an incredible job to delivering research if you're just researching um you know the apple stocks app is just fine too um if you're looking for investments i've heard really great thing about really great things about acorns as a starter app um i would avoid Robinhood at this point but anything that's a low cost broker so um schwab fidelity tv ameritrade those are all great places in my view people should <laughs> avoid Robin Hood. So, what is going on Robin with Robin Hood? Robin Hood is, uh, you know, initially it started, you know, initially my issue with Robin Hood was that they were, and they've now been cited for the SEC for it, so I can say it, they were false advertising. They don't have, it's not free. Robin Hood is not transaction free. Um, what they do is they take a spread on the price. So, most people don't don't know this or think about this, but when you're buying stocks, you're buying um the you're buying the stock price in a range of stocks. It's not just that one price. So if something is selling for fifty dollars, you're actually buying in the range of fifty dollars and one cent to fifty dollars and ten cents, for instance. And so where on Schwab you could buy at the low end of that range, um when you immediately put it in, Robinhood, you were always purchasing on the high end of that range and they were keeping the difference. And so it might not seem like a lot, but if they keep 10 cents for every thousand stocks you buy, it's not free for you. Um, so that was my initial issue with Robinhood. My issue now with Robinhood is what they did during the whole GameStop fiasco where they limited trading. I believe that everybody should be as free to make money as they are to lose money. So if people wanted to basically set their money on fire by buying GameStop stock, even as it was tumbling or whatever, they should be able to do that. So I think there's a huge limit on liberties that Robinhood is playing with. I mean, at some point during that whole thing, they had stock limits out on 50 different companies. Um, everyone should be able to do what they want with their money. And if it's not, Robinhood, it's not Robinhood's role to regulate that. And they acted as a regulator in that case. That's true. Now that we were talking about Robinhood, I don't know why I kept thinking about <laughs> artificial intelligence. So, like, do you think we can use AI as a tool for trading? And do you think it will do a better job? Well, we already we do uh, use artificial intelligence, um, at least to a large extent. Um, uh, you know, it's how ETFs are run. They're run based on programming. Um, there's a computer behind it that dictates trades and rebalancing and all of that. And yeah, I think the great thing about AI is that, um, it takes the emotion out of it. It takes, if you put in parameters, which is why I always put in my sell price as soon as I buy a stock. Um, if you have parameters, that are automatic to when you're going to sell a position. That makes it a lot less emotional for you as the stock moves. This just reminded me of a story that I did read. I, I think that was two years ago that someone stole an AI and started trading using the AI. And he, like 
that person started with 100 bucks and within like two weeks he turned that 100 bucks into one million dollars i'm not but that sounds great story yeah i i think i did read it like someone sold ibm ai and started trading using the ai and like within two weeks he made a million dollars so i have two last questions the first one is what are your books like favorite books in the subject that you would um so i really like um money math money master the game by tony robbins is one that i would recommend and you said the other one uh which is rich dad poor dad and i think you really want to understand that what happened to the 2008-2009 financial crisis it's so important um Stress test is also a great book. Awesome, and the last, <laughs> and of course, you're forgetting books. that. For Don't forget yeah. that. And my last question is, how can sure. people the get best in touch way to get in touch with me is on my website, just veronicacaris.com. Uh, my email is veronica at veronicacaris.com, and I always put this invitation out there. Anybody, you know, my phone number is everywhere, including on my website and everywhere else. If you don't want to book a time, you want to just pick up the phone and call or text me, you're more than welcome to do that as well. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank Thank you you so so much much for having me as a guest. This has been absolutely a pleasure. Thank you.